This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's podcast dedicated to the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And if there is another TV show that is as iconic and important in the history of television as Star Trek, the original series, I would say the original Twilight Zone would be that show. And there's a lot of crossover between the Twilight Zone and Star Trek, the original series, being, you know, more or less contemporaries uh, on the television airwaves. Twilight Zone predated Star Trek by a few years, the black and white era versus the the roaring color of the 60s for TOS. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot of crossover in front of and behind the camera. And, you know, we thought it'd be fun to, to kind of talk about some of that crossover, especially when it comes to the, the original series' main cast members, because many of them, uh, four out of seven of them, actually, uh, were featured in Twilight Zone episodes, original Twilight Zone episodes. And who better to discuss this with than the host of the Twilight Zone podcast himself, Mr. Tom Elliott. Hey, Tom. Hey, Zach. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I must admit, I'm going to fanboy out for a second. I've been a huge fan of the Twilight Zone podcast for several years since you started it back in, what was it, 2010, was it? It was. It's taken a while. It's taken me longer than I thought. It, it was originally supposed to be a three-year podcast, and here we are, seven years on. <laughs> so, so, Zach, 2010, so that you were about eight years old and you could figure out how to download a podcast. I'm impressed, buddy. <laughs> very good. Very good, Ken. That, uh, the ageism works both ways, I see. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, no, for, for real, when, when, I, was, uh, when I, first got, I got my first iPhone in, in 2010, it was an iPhone 4, and for whatever reason, I was like, you know what? I'm going to look into this podcast thing. You know, now I have an iPhone that has iTunes on it and all that. I mean, you could have downloaded podcasts at any time, I guess. But it was like a natural thing now where I could, you know, you can just click on your mobile device and have podcasts. And, you know, you search for subjects you like and, and TV shows and media and whatnot. I'm like, oh, there is a podcast called The Twilight Zone Podcast. Well, that sounds official. And uh, it was just a few episodes in, actually, at, at the time uh, when you had started. And I, I, I quickly caught up in that handful of episodes. And I was along for the journey the whole way. And, and I, I still am. And I just, if, if you guys, if anyone is a fan of, of 
any level of the Twilight Zone and is interested in hearing more about it, the Twilight Zone podcast is is a brilliantly put together show that I I highly recommend to everyone. And, and Tom, you do you do a bang up job over there, man. Well, thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny you you said it sounds official because back in those days there was no one talking about the Twilight Zone in podcasts. So I thought. Oh, I'll call it the Twilight Zone podcast. I think if I'd done it now, I'd think of something a bit, you know, a bit more clever or, or something. But, you know, I guess I, I, I was kind of the first one out there. So I stuck with that. Yeah, you've been doing it for seven years and keeping it fresh. That in itself is a great challenge. And I guess a testimony to, uh, to coming up with new and creative ways to look at just an absolutely fascinating show. It has captured so many people's imagination. And you know what? It's, it's, it's as old as it is, it's timeless in its creativity. And uh, just just a wonderful show, I think, to have a, a dedicated podcast towards. And I know there's been several others, but uh, it's pretty cool to be the original one. Yeah, I... Uh... I like to think so. And like you say, the original show is timeless. I mean, there was a, a reboot in the 80s, which looks more dated than the original show because it, it just had that quality to it. Yeah. I almost wonder, too, when, when they come back and they reboot, reboot type, those types of shows, and there is no other show quite like The Twilight Zone, It's almost it would almost be more effective to keep it in black and white, keep that mysterious feel to it, and try to recreate it as it was rather than trying to update it. You know, it, I don't think it works for, for Star Trek, but I think it definitely would work for something like The Twilight Zone. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're always talking about bringing out a new movie or something like that, and I think you're right. Maybe that would be the way to do it, you know, have it kind of period, do it in black and white you could make obviously better effects these days but that might be the way to do it because there's just a certain flavor about the twilight zone that is so hard to recreate and you know they they never really have been able to do it since right and you know you've talked about can the twilight zone exist without rod serling Mm. in a lot of your podcasts and and it's so wrapped up in its creator his writer creator like i can think of there's a very very small number of shows that are that way i think you know uh, just because Rod Sterling himself appeared on screen, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, he, he's so synonymous, like, his face, his voice, his writing style. He wrote, gosh, what, like, two-thirds of the episodes or some some absurd number like that. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's 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 a lot harder to to move on from Rod Sterling than, you know, Star Trek can move on from Gene Roddenberry or, you know, even Star Wars can move on from George Lucas because he, he's just there. He's on every level of, of the Twilight Zone. Rod Sterling is just all over it. And, and that's been, you know, a weaker point of... The reboot shows. I mean, no offense to like Forrest Whitaker, right? But he's no Rod Serling. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, exactly. You know, and I, I'm very torn on that question myself. Should they carry it on or not? Because on the one hand, I want more Twilight Zone, but on the other hand, I want good Twilight Zone. And I hope they find a way to do it. But it, it's going to take someone smarter than me to figure out how that's how they're going to do it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, talking about you know we're the star trek original series podcast around these parts and you know the the, the twilight zone uh as i was saying in the intro there it, it is right up there as far as you know the greatest most impactful influential television shows of all time you know ahead of its time you know very very highbrow entertainment you know it was a, it was a sci-fi show most of the time, you know, they dabble into like fantasy and and whatnot, but but I think I think it comfortably sits in the uh, same category as science fiction. And you could you could really uh, put it on the same shelf as Star Trek, and it's all part of that that '60s era television. And you know, there there was a lot of crossover, as we said, and you know, there, there were five episodes that original series cast members either you know starred in. 
or we're featured in in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And those are the episodes we're going to be kind of just going through today, talking about, you know, in general, and, and especially how it relates to the original series as far as the actors. And, and so we can just jump right into it, in, you know, in chronological order, if you will, uh, for, from, from air date. The, the first episode of The Twilight Zone we'll be talking about is uh, the season two episode, Nick of Time. Starring none other than William Shatner, Captain Kirk himself. Uh, a lot of people immediately associate him with uh, another episode we'll talk about on our list, uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, the iconic one on the airplane. Uh, but he was in two. And and Nick at Time, this is a great episode. If you're not familiar with it, it's the episode where uh, his character and his wife are you know, traveling across the country and they, they have a, a car mishap and then they have to stop in a small town and they go to this diner and then they start putting money in this fortune telling machine you know innocent fun at first and then it takes a very dark turn uh and you know twilight zoneness ensues and and to me this is like if i made a top 10 list of my favorite twilight zone episodes you know i'm probably biased because you know it's william shatner <laughs> so it's, it's hard it's really hard for me to to figure out like do i like it so much because it's william shatner or yeah. is it just so good because it's william shatner right but this episode is brilliant in my opinion because of the ambiguity to it because there's not a lot of twilight zone episodes where you're like hmm was something strange going on here it's mm-hmm. usually very cut or dry there's there's a, a very 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 few where there is no supernatural elements no science fiction no fantasy and then the majority of them have some just crazy mystical thing sometimes we know the mechanism sometimes we don't but this is a rare episode where you could really read it both ways and i think that's one of its greatest strengths oh yeah absolutely and i think I think it was originally a Richard Matheson episode, this one, wasn't it? If I if I think back. But the way he kind of stages it, that progression from, ah, oh, we're just going to throw a coin in this thing, you know, for a bit of fun. And, you know, by the end of the episode, they're, they're kind of just desperately trying to get out of this town. It could have been so goofy, but I think he stages it really nicely with the progression of the characters and their belief in this machine. And, you know, they both do a really good job on it, I think, both actors. Yeah, uh, William Shatner and then Patricia Breslin plays his wife. And I, I felt like this was a very, you know, Twilight Zone, it's a, it's a half-hour show, right? Uh, most of the seasons, but we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a little bit here. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, you have you have 22 minutes or 25 minutes or whatever it is, you know, back in the 60s, you know, the, the length was a little bit longer. There were a little less commercials back then. Uh, you don't have a lot of time to establish these characters. But, yeah, both, both uh, Shatner and... Uh, Patricia Breslin, like they do such a great job, you instantly buy into like they're this married couple, they're young and in love, but but then when stuff starts to take a dark turn, they friction starts to build, and it's it's very realistic, like it, it just feels like an like two normal people in a radically escalating situation, and I think that really sells, like as you said, what could be a really goofy concept, you know, especially when it's one of these iconic images of the twilight zone the the, the the mystic seer is the name of it and it's got this little devil this little goofy <laughs> bobblehead devil face it's got this little smirk on it and it's just it, it, and they're just like talking with this thing and it could it could have gone so wrong but i think the performances is really what make it go so right yeah yeah i mean you you guys obviously know more more shatner than me but he i guess he's got a reputation as a, a bit of a ham now hasn't he but he he could really act i mean he was in another rod sailing thing and you might remember it from the dust episode um and it was called a town has turned to dust and he's so good in that you know it's this really brave um kind of uh show about 
racism uh, and so on and he puts in such a great performance uh, back in that and he brings it to the twilight zone here i think well i think shatner has a has a unique skill set that i i think you're right uh tom he, he does have that reputation for being like a good term a bit of a ham <laughs> but even during star trek some of his performances were were amazing and and in the movies especially there were some where in the earlier ones phenomenal uh, and as time had gone on, I, it became part of his. He became very self-effacing, I think, and and that's what that's what kind of changed on that. But I I do think that uh, he was very very talented, and you know you you don't get top billing in TV shows for being a lousy actor. It doesn't happen, in, in regardless of era. Plus, he's Shakespearean trained and all that other stuff. So, yeah, he he had the ability to really pour it on, I think. And as time went on, like I said, he. Um, he got stronger in many ways, and then, and then towards uh, you know, especially at Boston Legal, which was an absolutely phenomenal show. Uh, he he really just was making fun of himself, and uh, and so I think because of that, uh, people will will tease even more about his his acting capability. There is one moment in this episode. Uh, it's it that's so Shatner. I remember because uh, you know while watching the Twilight Zone over the years, uh, I've watched it you know with my parents, watched it with friends. You know, actually, uh, I had some other friends who were really into the Twilight Zone. And, you know, we, we'd we'd have you know July Fourth parties or New Year's Eve parties, or whatever. And we always knew that at some point during the night we were gonna like turn on the TV and watch the Sci Fi Channel for a little bit for a couple episodes. And uh, there's just a thing in our circle of friends, and, and we were watching this episode once, and it stuck out to me because everybody kind of laughed at it. Because uh, like oh look it's Captain Kirk on the Twilight Zone I'm like all right whatever just shut up and watch the show <laughs> but but they're sitting next to the the, the machine and, and she's like are you just gonna stay here your whole life and he says I don't know <laughs> it was like, <laughs> he says it just like that and I remember all my friends just started bursting out laughing I'm like that that's true that is so cliche Shatner right there so even those little those little hints of the Shatner to come uh, sure peek through there but uh, but this this episode uh, a, a couple of last things on it it kind of has a a double dumbass on you moment as I call it because him and his wife are crossing the, the street <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they almost get in my car and it's like it's like double dumbass <laughs> on you that's what I thought from Star Trek 4 obviously and then uh this has a real chilling ending because the uh, the point of this episode is you know choosing your own destiny and, and fate and not you know allowing just other circumstances whatever those may be to, to, to make decisions for you you know uh, so so they they kind of get empowered you know they go on this journey of empowerment uh, Shatner's character and his wife and and they leave this diner but then right when they leave this obviously like older and disheveled couple comes in and 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 their their life is completely taken over by the power of this machine and uh and you're like, man, that that sucks for them. And you, and you don't know if those people have been there a day, a week, a year. You don't know. But the fact is, they're they they have given into to like you know just letting their fate up to other things. And that's like a a real just good life lesson about like regardless of of what it is, don't let other things make decisions for you in your future. And that's just a real chilling ending, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I think I took the same thing from it as you, Zach. You know, it's um. The Twilight Zone does give you these these great life lessons, and I, and I think this is one of them. You know, don't let other things decide where you go in your life. And obviously, obviously, the Twilight Zone, what they would often do is just make some object or some magical thing happen that that really illustrates that. And I think this is a really good example of it. And I, and I'm going to be maybe a little bit controversial here. I actually like this a bit more than uh, Shatner's other Twilight Zone episode. This one's always been a favorite for me. Mm. I mean, it's it's 
I, I, Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet is my favorite. Mm. I, I can I can totally see it, man. I can mm-hmm. totally see. I mean, they're, they're both just so good. And again, it's hard, you know, being the Star Trek fans that we are. <laughs> And it's hard to be like, well, <laughs> is it because of yeah. Shatner or not? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes subtlety goes a long way, right? And 20,000 feet is iconic and everybody knows it. And it's, uh, you know, if you compare it to, to Star Trek, like even TNG, everybody talks about the best of both worlds. Over the top, it's big. It's it's a favorite episode type of thing. And then the very next one is actually my favorite because it's so subtle and it's so and it's and it's chilling or the message is so, so important. So this one, though, is... Yeah, I, having just saw it again this morning, <laughs> man, I thought it was great. And the, the one thing that uh, I haven't watched a lot of Twilight Zones recently until we were prepping for this for the show, um, the part that always gets my my stomach going or the tension really rises is when you know the the, the main characters or whatever are through whatever they're going through. Like in this point, in this part, you know, Shatner and Breslin, they're 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 moving on, and then the next couple comes in. That's when you're like, oh no, it's going to happen all over again, and it starts right, and that's that's what really um, beefs up the tension with me because it's it's another cycle, and uh, it, the show doesn't have to go one more minute, and you're you're actually living through what's happening to that ne- to the to the next folks um, r- right after right after that. Uh, the, like I said, the, the the main part ends, so very very chilling. So do do you guys think that the little fortune teller was it mystic or was it not? What's what's your call? <laughs> Um, I'm going to say, well, I, I guess if two couples have fallen prey to it, then possibly, possibly it is. Yeah. You know, I, I always try and make the twilight zone kind of real. I mean, you might remember this on the podcast. I talk about it all the time. Uh, I, I try and think of it as some sort of entity or place or thing that, that kind of bleeds over into our world in different ways. And that sometimes that can be an object, sometimes it can be a place, sometimes it's a person, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think so, but, you know, it could go either way. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, I, I was thinking the whole time it it wasn't and, and that they were they were pushing it. But I hear what you're saying, Tom, and you're much more the expert than I'll ever be. <laughs> so I, I, I hear what you're saying. But it, it is funny. I, I, I get nervous. When I see people that have tarot cards or go get their palms read or whatever, I'm always nervous for them. Not for a second do I believe any of it's real, by the way. But how it's going to impact and how it might steer them in a direction might, they may not otherwise go. And and it's always been kind of a fear of mine, and I've always kind of steered away from that. And I've always hated when people were talking about doing it and, and so forth. So seeing this episode, I guess that's how my mindset has always been, and that's kind of how I was going as uh, as this one was playing out. What about you, Zach? Yeah, it's just so brilliant in the fact that it toes the line so well like like all like i think the scenes were, were where they start pulling out the card after card after card and his wife just like that that could mean anything you're totally reading into this you're the one that said this you're the one that said that and the machine just said oh chances are good mm-hmm. i think you already know the answer to that it's not it's kind of i had a laugh watching it again recently because it was just like it's so funny how it, how it just tells you it's just enough to to keep you hooked but obviously nothing of real substance and and uh yeah like like you guys were saying like but because it hooks multiple people uh i kind of have to lean and it being the twilight zone you kind of have to lean towards it maybe being something supernatural but that again, like I, I get, I just come back to the fact that I think it's completely valid either interpretation, and that's what makes it such a, a memorable, great mm. episode. Yeah. So moving on to our next episode, it's a season three episode, a quality of mercy, uh, featuring Litter Nimoy, 
So you know you got Shatner, you got to have Nimoy in there too. Uh, so Nimoy, he he's not the star of this episode. He's more honestly, he's more of a featured extra uh, because this episode is uh, is about a well, it's the end of World War II, and they're in the Pacific Islands, uh, a, a company of uh, U.S. military fighting uh, the Japanese, and uh, a new. Uh, Lee to the platoon comes in, uh, played by Dean Stockwell, a future Star Trek guest star, by the way of, you know, a clever Quantum Leap reference because he was on Enterprise in the episode Detained, uh, which is a, uh, you know, a reunion between him and Scott Bakke from Quantum Leap. But anyway, all kinds of Star Trek connections. But uh, uh, he comes in and he he's, uh, as Leonard Nimoy's character calls him, this one is bloodthirsty, which I thought was a very Spock kind of line and delivery actually uh one of Nimoy's few lines in this episode and he comes in he wants to wipe out the Japanese and he wants to prove himself he's like a young uh military guy but uh through a broken set of binoculars <laughs> that he drops and picks back up he 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 finds himself in the place of the Japanese soldiers but at a different time and it just kind of like turns the tables on him like hey these are you know even when you're in war these are people too you know that's that's the message of this episode to kind of you know uh walk a mile in another man's shoes see through the eyes of the enemy you know uh instead of just painting people as like you know uh, categorizing people well they're the enemy and that's all there is to it they need to be destroyed and wiped out uh the dean stockwell character sees the value of you know just you know people being people as opposed to just people being quote-unquote the enemy in this episode and then uh at the end he kind of it kind of changes him, but then the war ends immediately, so it doesn't really matter, I guess. And <laughs> that's 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 the the, uh, the long and short of that episode. So so Leonard Nimoy has a very minor part, not the most memorable part in the world, but it's like cool to see Leonard Nimoy on the Twilight Zone, basically, right, guys? Yeah, yeah. I guess this was you know it paid the phone bill or something that month. He, he didn't really get the the main part, but you know, I, I always say it in the in the Twilight Zone podcast. Everyone was in everything in those days, weren't they? Because TV was probably a lot faster to produce. I mean, some things were slower, obviously, like uh, cameras and so on. But you look down people's list of credits and they were in Alfred Hitchcock Presents. They were in all these other anthology shows and they, they would just jump all over the place. Um, so, yeah, it, I think it was just a just a paying the bills kind of job for, for Leonard this one. That's not to say he's not good in, in the little time he has. I think for Nimoy, for for a lot of us too, it's it's always fun to see him out of character, not being Spock. And for those of us who've, who've followed his whole career, uh, it's it be, it's become rarer and rarer as we get older and older to to kind of look and seek out other things that some of these actors have done. And there isn't a lot um, beyond the the big three that have done a lot. So it is it is kind of neat to to kind of go back. And in, in this one in particular, it was like, okay, when's he coming? Oh, there he is. You know? <laughs> and, <laughs> And yeah, uh, you know, and it's nice to see a Nimoy with with emotion and, and you know thinking differently. But it was a it was it was a um, I would I would call this one a very interesting episode. I, I certainly understood what it was trying to say. Um, but as as a student of history too, I I do think things were kind of switched up a little bit of this but the the lesson was not lost on me at all and and also the approach of of dean of dean stockwell's character um incredible uh and definitely you know when when you're assigned uh to to run a combat unit or an infantry unit you you want to put your thumb on things and especially when things are winding down but i i think that it was a it, it was a brilliant episode in what it was trying to convey not sure if it was so, you know, 
back in those times, I don't know how people on the front line fighting battles realized how close or how far away the end of that war ever really was, um, as they were planning to obviously invade Japan. So it just just kind of a fascinating spin on things. But again, the message wasn't lost at all. And I thought it was it's it's always cool when you can spin the lens around and look back and see and see how it looks from another view and even another time. Very, very clever. I mean, how how far after the war are we talking, Ken? Twenty years or something was it about at that time? Because it was just probably actually a little less than that, if you think about it. Probably closer to maybe forty-five, right? So yeah, seventeen years, something like that. So it was probably still pretty raw for a lot of people. So I, I guess it was quite oh sure quite brave of them to actually say, well, you know, there are people too, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, when feelings were probably still, you know, very much at the surface for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I will say that um, with the reconstruction of Japan, and I think there was a lot of um, considering what went on, and, and how you know on both sides, Europe and Japan, it, it is still amazing to me how fast the healing was. I'm not saying it was complete by any means, and that there were a lot of people with bitterness and a lot of people with issues, but but unlike follow-up wars to that, um, how kind of people just kind of swallowed it and, um, and and went on with living. It was. It was an amazing, amazing time uh, in history, uh, post-World War II Earth, I think should be a good way of putting it, because, you know, um, you know, you think about it on the European side, right, you know, five or six months after after the surrender of, of Germany, you know, there's there's German tourists going to visit, you know, countries that they had been, in, you know, at vicious war with for, for eight years, it's just incredible, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not saying there wasn't animosity, yeah. but you know, you, you didn't hear about uh, retribution. It's just, just amazing to me. It was, uh, it, it was an incredible time period. And this episode, you're right. To, to, I think that's what the bravery of the Twilight Zone was, and I think that's where Star Trek kind of picked up on. They took these issues on head on, where I think a lot of people just kind of stuffed them in the closet or, or shoved them in their back pocket and and didn't address it. But that didn't mean that the uh, the bigotry wasn't there. Or stuffed it in the attic, but we'll get to that episode later on. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> uh, a couple of last points on this episode. The, I guess, would the term be yellow face they used on Dean Stockwell? You know, they made him slightly Asian, and I'm not sure. I'm not, I mean, look, in the you had James Bond doing that too in the 60s. Mm. So it's like, oh, it was a more acceptable thing back then. It was to kind of get the point across. I do wonder, uh, you know, I mentioned Quantum Leap earlier, if it might have been more effective to just have you know, an Asian actor and just have like him look in a mirror and see Dean Stockwell, literally the quantum leap thing, (laughs) you know, that happens to Sam Beckett all the time uh, to that here. But then you lose Dean Stockwell's actual performance and then you lose kind of the character through that. So I I get why they did it. Uh, Being a white male myself, like it's kind of hard to be like, is that appropriate? Is that not? You know, it's just, I don't know. Just there's something I don't, you would not see that today. Is basically what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I think... They're probably a bit more justified in it because of the nature of the story. It's not quite like having, you know, Christopher Lee playing Fu Manchu or something where it's just, uh, it's just pretty bad to look at now. Um, but mm-hmm. it, I guess, as a white guy too, it's not my place to say whether someone should or should be offended by it. If they are, then I guess that that's fair enough, you know. It's it's a tricky one, I think, Zach. The uh, obviously to get the point across in a short amount of time, I think it was it was fine for what they were doing. I think the um, the trickier parts sometimes come, you know, not so much where 
um, people are playing, you know, white people are playing Asian roles, but you have, um, you know, Anglo-American actors in movies like The Great Wall, <laughs> you know, or things like that. You know, what was it? Uh, Matt Damon, that, that, the Savior of China. Yeah, yeah. Matt da- yeah, yeah, or 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 Tom Cruise and Shogun or whatever it was. But <laughs> yeah, it just I think I think those are the things that I think you know we definitely have to be a heck of a lot more sensitive to. I think it's actually. It's it's not a bad thing if we could cross pollinate a little bit more. Maybe it just has to be more the other way, you know, and uh, and things along those lines. But I think for the for this show, for what it was trying to do, I I, I didn't find it to be offensive at all. I, I got the point. In other words, you know. Last bit I wanted to mention on on this particular episode, I believe it was the inspiration for the timeout segment in Twilight Zone the movie. Is that right, Tom? You know what I. It's been a while since I've looked at any information about that one. I, I can't say for sure, but I can definitely see the parallels, so you might be right. Yeah, because if there if there was one episode of the show itself that that, that segment related to, it would be this one, mm. uh, because that was the, the one that was quote-unquote original. It wasn't based, you know, verbatim off of another episode. So, And, I, you know, I actually like that segment. I know there's, you know, I, I saw Twads in the movie when I was a kid, and I, I didn't know anything about any of this behind-the-scenes tragedy really, that happened on the movie, the cloud that sits over it. And just seeing it as it was, uh, you know, uh, in, in the movie, uh, Vic, Vic Morrow plays a, a racist character. He goes through experiencing life as, like, as the, the ethnicities that he had been racist against, you know, experienced the persecution and whatnot, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, whoa, that's 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 heavy stuff. And then, you know, you feel kind of sorry for him, and then you're like, you know what, this guy kind of deserves it because he's like a terrible person and he hates people for no reason. Yeah. Uh, but it's very unsettling. You know, again, again, those are the those are the endings that stick with you of the Twilight Zone. It's not so much the, the little happy endings of the Twilight Zone. It's, it's those sad, tragic endings and, you know, him getting carted away to a concentration camp at the end of that segment. You're like, oh. That's that's awful. So that I mean that, that really stuck out to me, uh, you know, as a kid watching that. Of course, you know now like all the behind the scenes stuff, how they re-edit it and whatnot, and and you know go look it up, guys. It's a whole lots of interesting behind the scenes stuff with Twilight on the movie. But yeah. uh, but that that is what kind of related uh, what I connected to as far as this episode and Twilight on the movie. So our next episode, Valley of the Shadow. This is a season four episode when uh, Twilight Zones were an hour long, uh, and James Doohan makes a, a brief appearance. In this episode, but uh, you know, like like you were saying, Ken, but beyond the big three uh, of Star Trek, it's uh, you don't you don't see the the is there a, the the Fab Four is that what we call them? They have a name like the non <laughs> <laughs> the non Kirk Spock and McCoy guys, but uh, you don't see them a lot of stuff since James Doohan comes out in this episode, and you're like, hey, that's Scotty, and and I, it is that a Scottish accent? I can't tell. Is that my mind? Telling me that he's talking like Scotty. I mean, I, it was kind of like he didn't even have that many lines, so I couldn't really tell if he was just uh, doing doing a Scotty voice or not. I guess it's just how James Zuin talks. So I, I've in my mind, I'm just like it's adjusting and trying to think it, it sounds more Scottish than it is. That that might be it because I think he's just talking normal in this episode, right, guys? Yeah, I, I guess so. Hey, Tom, I'll ask you the question. And do you think Doohan ever really sounded very Scottish? <laughs> uh, you know what? <laughs> Oh man, how do I answer that? I don't know. I mean, I I, I live quite far from Scotland myself, so I, I I'm probably as uh, as Scottish as both of you. So <laughs> I I don't know. You know, 
I'd have to, I've not watched any original series in a long time. So uh, let me get back to you on that one. <laughs> no worries. I just figured we'd get another perspective on it. Because Doohan's normal talking voice isn't that far off from his Scottish accent voice. Exactly. And I've heard him do, exactly. yes, and I've heard him do a number of different accents. And he actually was very talented at it. Um, you know, Spanish, German, all kinds of stuff. He used to do a, um, a skit when he would go to Star Trek conventions about what if Scotty was, you know, or what if you called down to engineering and James Doohan was, you know, you name it, you know, uh, Latin, this, that, and the other thing. And and he could do all the voices pretty, pretty well. But his talking voice and his Scotty voice are very close, except, you know, he rolls his tongue a little bit more. And that's that's really how he, how he does it. It's I, no, I don't. I don't know if it's necessarily a good or bad Scottish accent. Um, my time in Edinburgh uh, has has been limited, but I have spent you know some time out there, and uh, you know from from one region in Scotland, it's just like the UK or just like the US. The uh, you know I, I could understand people just fine in Edinburgh. I didn't have a damn clue what people were saying in Glasgow, so it's it it really does vary. But yeah, for him, yeah, it, it really is his own voice with just a a, a slight a slight change in the and the rolling R's and things. That's really all it is. Well, the other TOS connection in this episode, which I didn't even realize until I, I, I watched it, is this actually this one? I had never seen this episode until we I sat down to you know do research and, and you film, re-familiarize myself in, in some respects. But with you know all these episodes we're talking about today, I had never seen this one. Because season four doesn't repeat very much. It's not in the marathons on the, on the sci-fi channel, which is my, you know, if there if there's one way that I've watched the Trod Zone more than any other, it's the, it's the sci-fi channel marathons. And they don't mix in those four season episodes very much being, you know, an hour long and whatnot. Uh, so I'd never seen this one before. Uh, so I was like, you know, well, like like you were saying, can you really like, oh, waiting for Nimoy. Oh, there he is. You know, I'm waiting for Scotty. I'm like, oh, well, there he is. <laughs> he's just he's right off the top of the episode. And then you're like, oh, that was it. OK, well, he's gone now. Uh, but he, he had a couple of scenes. But uh, the standout part in this episode to me was David Opatoshu. Uh, and he played the uh, Dorn, uh, the leader of the community uh, of the Valley of Shadow, although that's not the name of the town i don't i'm not really that title was a little confusing to me but anyway that being as it is uh he was a very effective just kind of bureaucratic kind of villainous role but he's not a bad guy and and he's very introspective he's like you know because this town that you know there's a uh the plot of this episode is there's a a, a classic twilight zone trope of a guy just driving across the country you know he gets lost he's there with his dog he runs out of gas he has to pull into this town and uh hijinks ensue as they say uh they, they have a small secret and they're trying to cover it up and whatnot and he he he, he, he finds out more than he should and then the town kind of has to respond to it and, you know, th- their efforts to kind of control the situation are interesting because they have these amazing technology and all these things they don't want the rest of the world to share because they feel like, you know, the rest of the world isn't ready. But, of course, they're very hypocritical because you know, they they solve their problems the same way as the rest of the world do. This guy, you know, th- this traveling uh, reporter uh, is, is a problem for them, so they decide to eliminate him. And he's like, he even points that out to him. He's like, hey, guys, you're no better than, than us. And, and the... Uh, the David Opatoshu character is like, yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, so that's interesting. And, and he's kind of a friendly antagonist throughout the whole episode. And he played a non-seven in The Taste of Armageddon, uh, a first, first season episode of the original series. So again, uh, un- more unexpected connections between Star Trek and, and the Twilight Zone. And, you know, the se- season four gets kind of a bad rap, I think. Tom, what is your, what's your take on season four in those hour-long episodes? Well, the thing is... I don't actually watch ahead in what I'm covering in the Twilight Zone. And I'm in kind of like the, I think I might have done 
uh, maybe 10 episodes of season three, maybe not quite, but I'm not too sure. So I haven't watched season four in a long, long time. And like you, I don't think, I think there's probably several that I've not even watched ever because the the history of the Twilight Zone on, on British television is quite poor, to be honest. I used to have to stay up until two o'clock in the morning to watch it when I was a kid. And it hasn't been repeated since. It's not even on our sci-fi channel. Um, so I've, I've not seen any for a while. And then, so this was quite new for me. And I think one of the criticisms that often gets leveled at season four is they are too long. You know, they're just full of padding. They're quite boring. But I, I actually quite like this. Could it have been cut down? Yeah, there's probably ways you could have done it. He's backwards and forwards to different buildings all, all the way through the first half of the episode kind of just um reinforcing the mystery you you probably could have cut it down but i mean this is a charles beaumont episode and charles beaumont was one of the best twilight zone writers out there you know he was very good and i i like a lot of the themes in this you know they're saying they're keeping this technology um because if they release it into the outside world you know humans will use it for bad purposes and so on and so half of you is saying, well, that's awful. You could save a lot of lives. Why are you keeping that to yourself? But the other half is kind of saying, but you know what? You're actually right. You know, people would end up killing each other with this stuff as well. So it's, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I like the questions that it raises. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they basically have a replicator. <laughs> mm. <laughs> to put it in Star Trek terms is what they have. Uh, and, and yeah, this, this episode... Uh, it, it takes a lot of turns, and I think, you know, as, as you said, a lot of the criticism of season four is it's really stretched out, and episodes suffer from it. This episode does not. I feel like this episode actually benefits from it because you, you get the, you get that slow burn of the mystery. You get a little more character development than you otherwise would have, you know, because, you know, in, in a standard Trials episode, you get like three segments, a couple commercial breaks, and that's it, you know. Uh, this one, you can you can really expand and dig into things a little more. And, uh, and, and I must mention, uh, you know, Rod Serling, Planet of the Apes. You know, I know you talk about that a lot on your podcast. A big Planet of the Apes connection here. Natalie Trundy, who appears in uh, several of the Planet of the Apes movies, is in this episode. And I got to say, she's like one of the most beautiful women on the Twilight Zone, I think. <laughs> I must say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, maybe that's one element where, uh, but I guess it's just old TV shows where she she says she's in love with him within about five minutes. And it turns out she was only faking it anyway, but you know, he believed it and he was like, okay, great. You know? <laughs> so it, you know, I, I think that was a bit hokey, but yeah, you're absolutely right. She was beautiful. But wasn't, but wasn't, but wasn't she crying at the end when he was yeah, yeah. driving out? Mm-hmm. So women are complicated. What can I say? Uh, no, <laughs> but, uh, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. I was like, that's, that's not controversial. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Because I was like, this is so cheesy sixties romance. They, they, they've known each other. You, you don't really know how long, you know, maybe well, I'll give them, I'll give them a little credit and say they've known each other for like a week. Mm. Right. She's like, oh, I'm in love with you and I'll do anything for you. I'm like, oh man, you know, sixties TV let me down again mm. right but then it's like oh no it's a twist she was playing the whole time but you're absolutely right tom he was <laughs> the main character was like oh this is great yeah this is exactly what i expect to happen sure and he, he doesn't question it at all so it does make it better how it, it turns out to be a twist but uh spoilers by the way for this 50 plus year old television show guys mm. um but anyway valley of the shadow there's there's that one so some unexpected other connections to star trek beyond just james Doohan. 
So the next one is the big one, guys. Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Probably one of the most iconic Twilight Zone episodes ever. Uh, you know, you think about uh, Time Enough at Last, the one with Burge and Meredith and the glasses breaking. You think about mm. Deserved Man with the... Uh, aliens who cookbook. uh it's a cookbook right you know let's just, you know cookbook. let's just spoil all the big twads on episodes for everyone who's not familiar let's keep going down the list but anyway <laughs> so this is this is a big one you know th- everybody knows this one anyone who's ever been on an airplane and sat next to the wing has done the there's someone on the wing some thing you know some of the, you've seen you've seen it in in ace ventura you've seen it everywhere you know everybody parodies this right uh, the simpsons has done it you know so I, the simpsons has done everything right john lithgow has done it yeah john, john lithgow has literally done it. you know one of my favorite and we'll, we can talk about the movie uh comparison to this in a minute <laughs> but one of my favorite just just references to like just anything pop culture is on uh, third rock from the sun right uh john lithgow is the main character on third rock from the sun and and they're they're this family of aliens and they live on earth and <laughs> And the, their leader is the big giant head, and you always hear about the big giant head, right? And then he finally shows up, and it, who is it but William Shatner, right? And uh, <laughs> so he 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 shows up. Uh, they go pick him up from the airport, and and they're like, "How was your flight?" And he's like, "Oh, this crazy thing happened. Uh, I, I was on the I was on the plane. I looked out the window, and there, there was a man on the wing of the plane." And then John Lithgow says, "The same thing happened to me." <laughs> that's just <laughs> that's one of the most meta, hilarious jokes. It's so clever. I think that was yeah. and that was a great, funny show uh, as a, a fish out of water show. Uh, really enjoyable show. So, uh, but anyway, so this episode, this is my favorite episode of the Twilight Zone. Probably, you know, it just left such an impression on me as a young child. Uh, when you're, you know, you're a kid and, and you see a monster on the wing of an airplane, stuff, especially when it's peering in the window, the gremlin, I go, oh my god, that was, that's terrifying, you know, and like, and, and it scars you as a child, I don't want to like walk by a window late at night, because there's going to be a monster out there looking in at me, you know, so, so that, and then just, it's a great high, high adventure, high stakes episode, you're in the, you're in an airplane, this gremlin is destroying a wing, and it's classic Twilight Zone fashion, it's something extraordinary happening to one person alone, like mm-hmm. he's the only one, William Shatner's character is the only one seeing this, the only one who experienced it, Everyone is questioning his sanity, and the and the and the greater part of that is he had had a mental breakdown on an airplane in the past, so he's already got that working against him. People think, oh, he's just having a relapse, and and Shatner is just incredible in this episode. He goes through such a gauntlet of emotion, of like self doubt, especially the one scene that really sticks out to me is like when the one of the pilots comes and talks to him. It's like, oh, of course we see him, but we don't want to alert the other passengers, and he gets all excited <laughs> for a second. He's like, he's like, oh, he. D- and then he stops, and you see his face completely change. He's like, all right, you don't need to patronize me anymore. It's fine. Uh, and you're like, wow, that, that's such a great turn right there. And uh, just, it's a tour de force of acting by Shatner. And then, you know, when he uh, opens up the window and, like, it's like, ah, and he starts shooting the gremlin, like, that is Shatner. Like, Shatner's, Shatner's such a great scream, you know, and he, <laughs> he gets to scream a lot in this episode, too. But anyway, I could go on and on and on about this episode. I, I will say that the, the, weak, the weak link is probably the gremlin itself it looks kind of like a just a fuzzy friendly panda bear guy uh the face is creepy although it's very static uh you know the same makeup william tuttle i believe did the makeup uh for a lot of twilight zone episodes and uh, it's that it's in that same family of makeup from uh, eye of the beholder with spo- let's spoil another iconic episode uh when you <laughs> when you see the uh, how people really look when they have like the pig faces you kind of see it's that same kind of style there uh but again as a child terrified me and i was completely sold and that doesn't of course that the creature design doesn't quite hold up but i think everything else does and this is just an incredible episode written by richard matheson again by the way so him and shatner are a great team richard matheson wrote the enemy within for the original series so again 
Matheson uh, writes some great stuff. Shatner delivers on it, and it's just an incredible show. I think what saves it with the Gremlin for me is, I I mean, I, I haven't done this episode yet, so I haven't researched it that much, but whoever is in that suit, his movement, I think, works really well. And it's been, I remember, I think Saturday Night Live parodied, parodied it once, the, the way he sort of jumps and, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, his movement. But I, I think if anything helps you go with it, it's the way he, he moves and the fast turns. You know, one minute he's pulling something off the wing and then he, he just turns and looks at the window real quick. Um, you're right, though. He's dressed like a giant teddy bear. But if, if nothing else, he moves really well, I think. So, Zach, first of all, don't hold back. Uh, you know, feel free to express yourself on this episode <laughs> as much as you can. Uh, I, I love the enthusiasm; it's infectious. I, you know, it's funny when I when I was uh, a young lad that we had a, a Boston TV station that ran the, the Twilight Zone all the time, and unfortunately, every time they advertised the Twilight Zone, they say, "You know, it's going to be on at you know, seven o'clock and whatever it was." It was always the scene where where. Shatner pulls back the curtain and the thing is looking at you, which was traumatizing because yes. you saw it three or four times a day as a kid, <laughs> right? I mean, because it was oh, they were promoting, you know, the the reruns of the show, and then when you actually see the episode, it it deflates it because you know it's coming. But it was a um, a phenomenal show, and and I think just like you said, Zach, it, it, there, there's certain things that that define a series, and while there were so many phenomenal, uh, outstanding Twilight Zone episodes that really got you thinking. This one just scared you. It just, it just, it just ripped you to the bones. And I know it's dated now, but uh, and they, and I thought they did a, a pretty good remake of it in the movie. Uh, you, you know, they, they kind of modernized it a bit, uh, no doubt about it. And John Lithgow holds his own very well. I love John Lithgow anyway. I think he's 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 a brilliant actor and a lot of fun. So I, I yeah, I, I mean, this was this was Shatner at his best. And and if Star Trek never happened for him, I'm sure this would have been the thing that would have defined him uh, for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. I think the the criticism Lithgow often gets is he started too high because Shatner starts out nervous and gets hysterical by the end of it. Lithgow starts hysterical and just yeah. keeps going. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's fine. You know, I, I really enjoy it too. I'm okay with that because he, he still manages to, to bring that. Um, better gremlin as well. The gremlin in the in the movie is really yeah, good. Yeah, no argument oh, there for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a scary gremlin. I, I think too, you know uh, Zach and I were talking recently about Nicholas Meyer giving direction to um, Ricardo Montalban. You know, never show him your top. You know, always always build. Um, the the more the more calm you seem, the less insane you become. Mm. And maybe that would have been good advice for Lithgow when he started out uh, <laughs> because he ended just maniacal and of course at the very very end you know do you really want to see something scary but anyway oh, yeah. and ccr my favorite band by the way makes an appearance at the end of this <laughs> that's your favorite band oh yeah man. i love i love yeah, 70s yeah, folk yeah, music, yeah that's cool that's cool i mean you you have a uh, um a wide spectrum of things that, that that you enjoy that that goes back um you know a long time that's 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 great that you can appreciate it i i don't meet a lot of people nowadays that uh you know, uh, they're they're kind of like everything that was formed when they were growing up is where they stay. They don't look back much. That's that's really cool. I'm an old soul, Ken. What can I say? I'm talking about Star Trek: <laughs> The Original Series and the Twilight Zone on a podcast. So, uh, yeah, you guys you guys are right about the the movie segment. I think you know Twilight on the movie is a mixed bag, uh, but I think the Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet segment, directed by George Miller of Mad Max fame, right? He's relevant again. Is the best segment of the four. 
uh, and you know, five if you count the Dan Aykroyd uh, bookends. Uh, mm-hmm. There's so much, so many episodes of the Twilight Zone involve airplanes, right? And either airplanes going around in time, or airplanes, something's happening on an airplane, or so. So that, that uh, you think I always think about the Twilight Zone when I get on an airplane because yeah, so, yeah. there's just so many options. Right? You're gonna see a dinosaur out there. We're gonna go back in time. Is there a gremlin <laughs> on the way? There's so many options uh, when you get on an airplane. You're talking about the Twilight Zone, and you know, being the Superman guy I am, I, I need to. Mention. I feel obligated to mention that Richard Donner uh, directed this episode of The Twilight Zone. He directed quite a few mm-hmm. um, in season, especially in season five. I think all of his episodes were in season five. But this is, you know, obviously the best, and you, you can kind of see. I mean, there, there's a lot to this episode. You know, a lot of coordinate with special effects and whatnot, and you could see that. Uh, he had the potential to be a great big-time movie director, and he went on to direct, obviously, Superman the movie, The Omen, Lethal Weapon series. So he, he's got a lot of great uh, films under his belt. So The Twilight Zone it wasn't just kind of like the, the uh, training ground, if you will, for, for actors to go on to bigger and better things, but also, you know, directors, writers, everybody behind the scenes as well. So our last episode here, The Encounter, uh, starring George Takei, and, and he is, you know, one of the two leads. This episode has two people in it george decay is one of them this is a very complicated bizarre episode uh you know we were talking about a quality of mercy in that in that post-world war ii um kind of navigating the minefield of you know uh, emotions and, and whatnot and, and racism you know and that's a huge thing in this episode and you know i don't know because on one hand you're like man this is highly ridiculously inappropriate but then at the same time it's also very relatable because it's like you know what there are people like this like this like this uh well like this this homeowner guy <laughs> you know I'm trying to describe as the main the other main character uh there's this this guy who was he was in world war ii uh, i equate him kind of like a washed up jock you know like I, he, I was the best in high school and now look at me now ah you know those are the glory days and he's just a washed up kind of military guy he's like oh we were i mean he says japs and other racial slurs a lot in this episode i'm like oh that's a little uh, but uh he's like oh we were you know killing japs in the war and you're like oh man you know this guy misses those glory days and george decay just a just a, a, a guy that's going around the neighborhood looking for work wants to mow a guy's lawn and then he he invites him up uh the homeowner invites him up for a beer and he keeps offering a beer throughout the episode, which which did make me laugh. He's like, oh, you just need a beer. Oh, I need a beer. I need to grab a beer. The guy mentions, you know, you should have a drinking game with how many times the guy mentions having a beer. You, you get drunk yourself if you watch this episode. Uh, but this guy is obviously a racist uh, ex-military guy from World War II. George Takei, obviously Japanese in, in descent. So that immediate drama there. And then it just... I don't know, like, it just takes this bizarre turn, it's like a samurai sword, and then they start, like, confessing things to each other, and then they can't get out of this house, they get locked in this attic, and the doors lock, and it's it just, it's just bizarre, you know, and, and I feel like they were trying to say something here, I don't know what they were trying to say, though, it gets totally lost in translation, and it's just a very odd episode, and it was so controversial that it never re-ran, and they took it out of the syndication package. I didn't see this until recently when, you know, the Twilight Zone was on, you know, Netflix and Hulu and all these streaming services you could watch it, because this one certainly never showed on the Twilight Zone uh, marathons on the Sci-Fi Channel. So what what, what <laughs> thoughts on this bizarre episode, guys? Uh, do you want to go first, Ken? Because <laughs> I don't even know what to think about this one. <laughs> well, I took it as... I was just very literal, right? The... Um... The sword was cursed. That's that's kind of how I took it, and that it was, I don't know, it, it was utilized for, for 
<laughs> I guess it's even hard to explain. But I, I took it as it being a cursed sword that was, you know, taking its vengeance out. It, it doesn't make any sense from the Takei per, per point of view. I, I do get it from, um, the, the, I don't even remember his name in the um in the first part, the, the the other actor's name in the in the role, but let's just say the crazy military guy. I, I do kind of get it from there, right? He, he there's there's this he he killed a person who was unarmed apparently, and um, you know this this sword was was going to have its vengeance on him, and I guess it's even inscribed. I even mean, how the sword taking off a dead soldier would be inscribed that it's going to be evil, but anyway, or that it was going to get its revenge, and then Takai kind of facing the. Um, the penalties that his was it his father that um, was building Pearl Harbor and then was a traitor. I, I, to me, it, it was it was all over the board and um, yeah, it, it's it's hard for me. I, I just looked at it. There's there's no lesson in this. Um, you've you've got a bigoted person. You've got another person who's kind of pulled in. One's paying this the price for the sins of someone else one is paying the price for his own sins and then the door opens i i sorry i i yeah i i don't have a lot to say about it i think the there's some interesting things that, that could have been done with it you know you you've got two people who are carrying certain scars with them from the war and how do these people now coexist in in a more mundane world you know they're talking about mowing lawns and, and everything but they they both carry a certain amount of baggage with them from their pasts so there's probably things you can do with something like that whether this episode does it or not is a is a different story and um you know the bigoted guy was a kind of interesting character in a way because he was clearly this racist guy and he'd he'd go so far and George Takei would start getting a bit annoyed at him and offended, and he then he'd sort of take a step back and say, "Hey, what are you talking about? Just come and have a beer, you know. You're being too sensitive." Right. And then he'd go a bit further the next time, and then George Takei would get offended and oh, just come and have another beer, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, there was a couple of interesting things like that, but there was just no direction to it. It it just built up and built up. And built up. I guess if it was a, a Japanese man who had been in the war himself, th- right. that might have made a bit more sense. Um, but in the end, George Takei jumping out the window with the sword, shouting "Banzai!" Banzai! It was just absolutely bizarre. Uh, why would like why would a sword want him to kill himself? Right, it just doesn't make any sense. That's why I say I think I think everything falls on. <laughs> I was just you know, do a terrible pun, but it wasn't intentional. But everything falls on the sword. <laughs> but that's that's exactly how I, how I. That was the only way I could walk away from it. Was just like okay, this thing is cursed and it drives people mad. Um, even though it's pulling bits and streams of information from from these characters, it. I had nowhere else to go with it. <laughs> yeah, in Takei's performance is kind of all over the map too i I don't want to be too hard on him because obviously the writing isn't quite there so i mean he was kind of weak in some points but it it was asking him to do a lot of weird things as well the script and uh but you know what but my 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 point from the beginning is there are so many people like this racist guy you know i'm like so like you know there's so many like people i mean look i mean we're, we're in very polarizing times right now right and so these are conversations that you know should be had in healing conversations, you know, and if, you know, had correctly, they shouldn't end this way. <laughs> but, 
uh, as you said, how, I, when things are less extreme, how to live in this mundane world. You know, that's a great point, Tom. I'm talking about mowing lawns and drinking beer, but these guys, are, you know, they have such deep, like, rooted hatreds for each side for various reasons. They're each bringing a lot of baggage in. And and the sword just just pulls out this and kind of for it's like it's like locking two people in a room like hey talk this out you know that's that's the whole point. Um, them both dying at the end kind of undoes it. There's no lessons learned. There's just, just everybody's dead and like oh okay well that was that was that. Uh, but every you know everybody has an excuse right like this guy and this you know this this is another episode that kind of reminds me of uh, of the timeout segment from Twads on the movie because at the beginning of the Vic Morrow character he's like ah well these guys coming into our country and taking our jobs and this and that and this guy in this episode says more or less the same things you know and he kind of explains he's like oh yeah look my wife left and you know I'm having a hard time they kicked me off my job and you know and all this so everybody has these excuses right for 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 the way they feel the way they feel and I think that's interesting that's some raw like real world stuff there which is I don't know but I don't know if the Twilight Zone is the right venue for that kind of thing ultimately I I think it, it can be but I mean this I don't know who wrote this. I know it wasn't sailing. You know, not every sailing episode was great, but I don't think he'd have written something like this. You know, he he was in the in the war himself. He had a much better handle on these things and the kind of scars that people carry afterwards. Um, I, I think if if I'm going to try and take a positive from it, and I don't even think it's a positive, but I, I think the the racist guy. Um, I think we've all met someone, you kind of said something yourself like this, Zach. We've all known people like this. In a sense, they're bullies and they will they will push you and push you and push you. And then when you get annoyed at them, kind of make you out to be the, the bad one for getting annoyed. Oh, I was only joking around. What, what are you talking about? You know, Yeah, man, lighten up. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it's a very realistic character in that way. Um, and I think that's probably... <laughs> the most positive thing I can say about it. <laughs> well, I look forward to your review on this one when, when you get there in a few years, Tom. Oh, so. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, so that is, that is the rundown there. Uh, great to end on that note. Uh, by far the, the, the least of these five episodes we were talking about there, the, the encounter uh, with George Decay. And, Poor, uh, George. Uh, Poor George. Can't catch a break. Can't catch a break. I mean, you know, <laughs> he gets cut out of everything and whatnot. I mean... Poor George. Oh, you know, and last thing I'll say about that, actually, just talking about it here, reminds me of Heroes, where he has the the samurai sword. You know, on Heroes, where he plays uh, Heroes Hiro Nakamura's father, and he's like a you know a samurai master uh. with the sword. And that you know, I wonder if that crossed anyone's mind <laughs> when they were making girls. You know what? You know, I saw this episode of The Twilight Zone once, and George K had this sword. It was really it was my favorite episode. I want to incorporate that somehow into Heroes. Now I'm sure that was no, nowhere near their discussion. Well, I, there. I think everything comes back to the naked time for him, and he just can't get away from swords. Running around with a doing. sword. Yeah. He's just running around with a sword. So maybe it was this episode that started that whole thing. But man, yeah. He's, it's kind of an odd thing that he's he's defined by a sword in he's his hand. He's defined by know? a sword in his hand. Well said, yeah. You know, and that's you know, there's lots of other Twilight Zone guest uh, Star Trek guest stars who were also Twilight Zone guest stars over, over the years. And you know, maybe maybe we'll talk about those another another time. That'd be a fun uh, rundown to do sometime with the time if you're game for it. But uh, as you said, you know, people were just in everything. And a term that you use all the time. Mm. You've even said, I probably say this too much on your podcast. Like, just a hard working, <laughs> just a hard working actor. You know, one of those working actors. You know, that's what a lot of these guys are. Yeah, uh, but but it is cool because they're they're the uh, being contemporary series. You know, you kind of see them and they look the same. It's not like 
oh, yeah, the show from the 90s. This guy was in Star Trek 30 years later. That's cool. But, like, no, this guy from, like, 1961 was in this Star Trek episode five years later, and they look pretty much the same. And it's that's a, just a cool connection to get that, uh, that that same era of all the actors and performances and whatnot. And, and, you know, ultimately, I do think, you know, the Twilight Zone and Star Trek, both their best, their, you know, modern-day parables, you know, morality plays, talking about the human condition. And I think that's that's the universal thread that, that connects all the best science fiction and definitely you know in in, in these shows are, are what makes it so uh, so timeless and so memorable i uh, it i interesting as well I, I see on your notes here you know you said it was directed by robert butler who directed the cage um is that right the the first episode of star trek that's correct yeah that's yeah. uh that's true because that's one uh, it's been so many years since i've watched the original series i'm a kind of lapsed trekkie i hate to say it guys um but <laughs> The one that always sticks with me is is the cage because I always found it so fascinating how they brought it back in to the canon kind of thing by um, doing that show where Pike was in the wheelchair and so on. So I've always loved those episodes, but um, yeah, I I guess the only way is up from the encounter and then he he did the cage. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because he... the direction was not very good in this episode in the mm-hmm. encounter you know like like when when the racist guy ultimately uh, gets killed by the sword i couldn't even tell what happened i was like what well, did i miss something what happened <laughs> like what happened here so uh, robert Bubba clearly clearly improved his craft with years and you know again superman connection he directed a couple episodes of lois and clark in oh, the wow. 90s this was a long working director okay and he and one of those episodes being the pilot for lois and clark the new adventures of superman in 1993 so you know 40 years you know, after wow. this uh you know give or take you know uh 35 40 years after this episode he was still directing so uh but yeah star trek connections everywhere between between the twilight zone and star trek the original series so well tom thanks so much for taking the time i know you're a busy guy man uh with with everything you've got going on if people want to seek you out on the internet and hear more what you have to say about the twilight zone or anything really where can they find you well thanks for having me on guys i guess if people want to check out the twilight zone podcast they can go to the twilight zone podcast.com i'm not very imaginative with my website name either so they can go straight there um, i'm also uh, just at the beginning of another podcast over at a website I have called strangeanddeadly.com uh, where we're looking at the kind of shared universe movies, the Marvel movies, the DC movies, and that's called Lost in the Omniverse. So if they want to check that out, they can go there too. But, um, you know, thanks for having me on. It's I think this is my third Trek FM podcast now, and I am a lapsed Trekkie. I'm always looking for that route back into Star Trek, you know, and I'm hoping the new series uh, coming out is going to be the thing that that kind of hooks me back in. Um, But I I just think what you do on this website is, you know, second to none, the layout, the range of shows, the way you you come at Star Trek from all different directions. I, I just think it's excellent. So I'm always happy to come over. Well, thanks, Don. That means a lot, man. I really respect you as a podcaster. So that's high praise coming from you. Yeah, and I look forward to checking out. Was, was, I just want to make sure I had it right, Tom. Lost in the Omniverse is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's okay. A co-hosted show like this one where we uh, we're just going to go through all the Marvel movies, the DC movies, and uh, you know probably X Men and Star Wars down the line as well. So. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear you talk about the Dark Universe. Well. <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll see about that one. Whether they carry on or not after the mummy, the, I don't know. The DOA universe, more like it, am I right? Anyway, we'll see. I, I think they're going <laughs> to shut that thing down. I mean, I really do. I, you know, they, they say they got movies in development, but uh, I don't know. That mummy didn't quite uh, light the world by fire as they expected. So, Did you see it? Did anyone see it? No one saw it, Ken. Of course not. No. Okay, all right. <laughs> hey, you know. Oh, boy. Well, talking about the Twilight Zone isn't the only thing going on on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Saturday Morning Trek. This episode is the only Star Trek that they used to only watch with me. Like, they had no interest in Star Trek except for this episode. If I said Star Trek, they'd say, Tribbles, oh, let's watch that, that Tribbles where they get real big and sits in Kirk's chair. They <laughs> saw the live action one. They didn't, I mean, they kind of liked it, but they always went to the animated one. Standard Orbit. I was really hoping that Quinto would have a uh, tie in to, you know, when the Hobbit trilogy came out, you know, a few years ago. I was like, oh, they might tie into that. And Quinto can have a remix of the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. They didn't, they didn't quite go there, did they? So. No, they, they did not. They did not. But, you know, there are certain things that you can, I guess, mirror or remake. That is not something that should ever be remade. The 602 Club. As I mentioned previously, completely blind and not having known this history about him wanting to do a Tolkien-like world, I didn't get that at all. I mean, that's just... nope. And introducing The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. What have you done out there on the edge of Federation space? Welcome to The Edge, Trek FM's brand new podcast where we dive into the final frontier of the newest Star Trek series, Star Trek Discovery, the first Star Trek series to be on air in 12 and a half years, something like that. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and of course in the Babel Conference. Type Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron on the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, You'll find the current goals and different milestone contributions along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details on patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon... 
Thank you, as always, to our great associate producers for Standard Orbit. We have Renee Roberts, Norman Lau, Aaron Harvey, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, Richard Marquez, and Corey Elrod. Yes, thank you guys so much for your support for both Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Uh, so, Ken, if people want to find you out there on the internet, where can they find you? Hey, you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference and engaging people when I when I have the opportunity. You can also find me on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is at Boston SCPO, and we uh, we like to tweet out all our new episode information as soon as we get it, as well as well as our colleagues. So, look for me there. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman series from the early 2000s. And you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. Midnight special